Well, something big is happening in sports right now. I'm not talking about the World Series. I'm not talking about the World Series. Something bigger than the World Series, guys. Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey. This is massive for all you Swifties out there who never liked the NFL. Raise your hand if now that you're expressing a little, a little bit of interest in the NFL, in professional sports, now that Taylor Swift is involved. Thank you for being honest. I know that half of you, look, Josiah's honest. I'm a, he's a Swifty at heart. I know it. Josiah's excited about Taylor Swift joining. It's actually hilarious because my wife sent me this, uh, uh, it was an Amazon um, sweatshirt that said, um, what was it? It was Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Now, guys, you need to understand, Travis Kelsey is a future Hall of Famer of the NFL. He's, he's one of the best tight ends that's ever played the game, and the Swifties are coming on board, and they're saying, no, 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 this is Taylor Swift's boyfriend. You got to respect who Taylor Swift is. Well, the point is, is that so many people, the, the people that are Taylor Swift fans, have completely changed their mindset about football. Football used to be, you know, I don't care about football. You know, and it's funny, it's going viral all over social media, like these, these uh, wives and these girlfriends that are so excited to sit down with their husbands and boyfriends or whatever it may be on Sundays and watch the football games. It's hilarious to see these Swifties excited about the Kansas City Chiefs and Travis Kelsey as uh, her boyfriend. They completely changed their mindset. For no interest in football, didn't really care about it, now a complete interest, or at least a, uh, a remote interest in uh, professional football, in the NFL. Well, in the Christian life, when someone becomes a Christian, their mindset must completely change from that of the temporal, the worldly, the, the right now, to the then and there, as Pastor Mike says. Shift your mind from the, the, the here and now to the then and there. And that, as a Christian, when you become a Christian, you gain an eternal mindset, or at least you have to have that. You should. You ought to have an eternal mindset and move away from the temporary, the earthly, the worldly. Stop focusing on the here and now and focus on the then and there. And you need to make sure that you're not distracted by the cares and the temptations of this temporary life. There's so many things going on that are grasping your attention and, and, and fighting over your attention in this world that you're attracted to. Even you as Christians that sit here, you are attracted to it and you're being distracted from what is actually important in this life. Turn with me to Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4 is our text today. Open in your Bibles. I'm in the English and version, as you know, we use at Compass Bible Church. So open up your Bibles, please, whether you have your phones or physical Bibles. I want you to get your eyes on the text right now as we look at this together. Now, just some background with Colossians. Paul wrote this letter because there was some uh, odd heresy that was going on. Not quite yet inside the church, but what was happening was outside the church, there was this heavy influence of uh, this weird Jewish-slash-pagan blend of, of heresy that was going on. Now, that's not super important to our text, but what is important is that as we went through the letter of Colossians, we get to chapter 3. So before he's dealing with this heresy, now he's like, okay, now that you know, you've dealt with that, this is what you need to do as a Christian. This is what you need to do. He gets practical now. And the first thing he starts with starts in verse 1. He wants us to have a, 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 an understanding of, of our new life. So let's read it together. Verse 1. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, of course, as you all know, was raised from the dead. Okay, And as Christians, we die with Christ. When you uh, repent of your sin, you place your faith in Christ, you die with him, and then you're raised with him in a new life. So there's this contrast between the old life and the new life in verse 1 that we see. And seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Of course, God, Jesus is not sitting there on a throne physically with uh, some bodily form of the Father. The idea is that Jesus has all authority and power to direct your life. Seek the things that Jesus wants of you, not of what you want of you. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It kind of follows, right? Instead, this time, it's the, a complete disposition change. Your mindset, the, the things that you think about, it's focused on Jesus. It's focused on eternal things, not on temporary things. Verse 3. 4. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God means that your life does not belong to you. Your life now belongs to Jesus. If you're sitting here calling yourself a, a Christian, you've repented of your sins, you've placed your faith in Christ, then your life is not yours. It's Christ. It belongs to him. So your mindset, your perspective completely changes. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, right? When he, who is your life, appears, the second coming, then you also will appear with him in glory. So there's this idea of a future focus now too, a literal future eternal focus. So of course, as we live here in this life, in the temporary, we have an eternal mindset in the things that we do, in the things that we think, the desires, all of those things in this life, but there's also a future glory that we look to. The new heavens, the new earth, it's a future glory that we look to in uh, Christ Jesus when he returns. And this powerful in these powerful four verses, uh, we find a command to live for Jesus, right? I think I've made that quite clear, that our life is not ours, but it's his. The main idea I want you to take away from this sermon is I want you to live with an eternal mindset. And we do that by keeping Christ as the, the center, the focal point of every aspect of our life, every single thing that we do. It's simple to live with an eternal mindset when you reflect on where you came from, talking about, as I mentioned, the old life and the new life, you have to first understand the new life. That's point number one. Understand your new life in Christ. Now, not everybody has the new life, as we'll talk about here in a second. Some of you are sitting in the old life. Others of you who are professing Christians are in the new life. But I want to talk to you, Christian, first, that you've died with Christ, and you have a new life that's in Christ. You've died to the old ways of the flesh, and now you live in the new ways of righteousness, the new ways of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. This is a great section that reminds us how we've died with Christ, and now we've been made alive in Christ, and what exactly that means, what exactly that looks like. So I want you to turn there. Romans 6, verse 1, starts here. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul answers his question, by no means, we don't continue to sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, of course, you know, you, you will sin, you're not perfect, but you strive for perfection. That's the idea here. You don't continue to live in habitual sin. That's part of the old life, not the new. 
Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? As I told you, we've died with Jesus. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This idea, the old life is done with. And, and Christian, you're sitting here and you're reading this and you're still pursuing habitual sin. You're still thinking about things that are sinful. You're still doing things that are sinful when Paul is saying this is the old ways, not the new. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. That's important because sometimes I'm sure you feel that, oh, I just can't get past the temptation. I just have to give into it. I'm in the flesh. I'm weak. But this is the exact opposite. Paul is saying you are not a slave to that sin anymore. When you're not a Christian, you're a slave to sin. That's what you choose. That's what you desire. Whereas as a Christian, you've been set free from that desire, and now you desire righteousness. You desire to live for Christ. That's a great contrast between that who is a Christian and not. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. What do we do with that? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And this is key right here. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your members to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The idea here is that your life, every aspect, what you do, what you think, how you spend your money, how you use your time, it's all meant for Christ. Your life is for him, not for yourself. Do not present your body to sin. Do not present anything to sin, but present your body to righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So Christian, there's hope here. I'm talking all about this. Oh yeah, don't do the sin, do the right thing. Of course, you go to church, you know that. But there's this idea of hope here as well that you can overcome the sin because you're not a slave to sin anymore. You're a slave now to righteousness as he goes on to say in Romans chapter six. You're a slave to Christ. Your life is for him. And your, your life ought to reflect that. You have to understand you're dead to the old ways. I want you to think about the ways that you live your life. The things that you're doing. Are you in, ingesting things that are sinful and wrong? That is a matter of the old life, not the matter of the new. There's a, there needs to be a contrast. If you're sitting here calling yourself a Christian, I mean, Pastor John's been going through this very practical, didactic Sermon on the Mount, what not to do, what to do. Put off this, put on this, right? Is your life, Christian, if you're professing me a Christian, matching up with what Scripture says a Christian's life looks like? Or is it looking like the old life that you're sitting in or that you used to sit in? Your life belongs to him. 
Therefore, this internal mindset, of course, changes our mind, changes the way that we live, changes our actions to be focused on what Christ wants. It's not a suggestion. The eternal mindset is something that's obligatory. It's an obligation. It's a duty for the Christian. The Christian must live with a life that's focusing not on now, but on the future. Because your life is new now. It's not in the old, it's in the new. That's what the new life looks like. Some of you guys want to hold on to bits and pieces of that old life. Some of you guys want to hold on to, uh, can, Lord, can I, just, can I just hold on to this sin? I just want to do this thing. I want to hang out with this bad person. I want to uh, watch this, this bad sinful movie or I want to do something. Yeah, you want to hold on to bits and pieces of the old life thinking this is okay for me to do as a Christian when it's not. Why? Because your life belongs to Christ. And not, not only that, but you have an eternal mindset. So those things are not uh, of you. Those things are, need to be put to death in your life. Those things ought to be turned away. Every single thing you do should be filtered through this idea of what would Jesus want me to do? I know that's so elementary. You've been to church for a long time, but sometimes we need this reminder of just what am I doing? Am I pleasing Christ or am I not pleasing Christ? Are the things you're thinking and the things you're doing and being engaged with and the things you're saying, are they pleasing to Christ or are they not pleasing to Christ? But as I mentioned, some of you are still in that category of the old life. Some of you are still in that category of non-professing professing Christian. You're not a Christian. You're not, you don't believe this. That's the, the, the old life. You're still in the old life. And here's the thing, guys. This life is all you get. This, is, this life, everything here that we have, all the glories of this life, this is your reward. And it stops there. When you're dead in the grave, that's where everything else goes. It stops right there. So live it up now because it doesn't get better. When we look and have this eternal perspective and we have this understanding of the reality of a, a future, the reality of an eternity in heaven, why would you want anything else? I understand that there's temptations. I understand there's desires, and we'll talk about those things, but how insignificant those are in comparison to the future glory, how insignificant they are even to the new life blessings that we have. For a Christian, I mean, if you're a Christian, the new life in Christ has these many blessings. You know, as, as Christians, we oftentimes overlook the blessings of Christianity. We oftentimes forget about the good things in Christianity, that it's literally a better life to live as a Christian. Now, of course, there's bad things that come. There's trials, there's tribulations, there's difficulties that come with becoming a Christian. But your life is now being lived the way that God told you to live it. It's a good thing, and it's better the blessings of the new life, you have security. Write down Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. Romans 8, 31 to 39. I won't quote the whole thing, but this just talks about this eternal secure love that Jesus has for his people and that he'll never leave or forsake those that he loves. There's, of course, a focus on righteousness, the blessing of the new life. That you can do things that please God and not do the things that don't please God. You have new desires, right? The desires of your life shift from the old ways to the new life. And of course, eternity, which we'll talk about later in this sermon, but we have eternity to look forward to. 
Whereas if you're sitting in the old life, you have eternity to look forward to, but it's not good. I want you to think about that, Christian and non-Christian that are sitting in this room. Now that you understand your new life in Christ, just look at what Paul says, uh, calls us to do rather. Look back with me at our text, going back up to verses 1 and 2 in our text. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. When we read this, it's of course pointing to this idea of, as I've mentioned, an eternal mindset. Have an eternal perspective. Forsaking the things that are shiny and good and pretty to you now in lieu of the things that are in the future. Right? Putting off the old, putting on the new. Point number two, maintain an eternally focused mindset. Maintain an eternally focused mindset. You guys remember just recently when we had that oh-so-massive hurricane? Man, that caused some damage. We had some lawn chairs tipped over. Woo! We had some umbrellas, maybe, that opened. I, don't, I mean, literally, I think there was some drizzle. Do you guys remember this? I mean, they were, like, hyping this thing up. Everyone's going to flood, and millions of people are going to die. And guess what? My, my dog got wet. Like, okay, great. But imagine if it actually did do the things that they said. Right? How much destruction, how much damage would have, would have happened to buildings and infrastructure and people's lives and cars and possessions and all of these things that would have been destroyed as a result of this hurricane. It puts into perspective the things that we really care about in this life. You choose to hold these things loosely because they don't matter. In a second, they can be gone. In a second, they could be destroyed. In a second, they, they're, this, this uh, possessions in this life are meaningless in comparison to the great rewards that come in the new, in eternity. You've got to shift your focus on what actually matters in this life. Don't get caught up in the things of the world. Turn with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, chapter 25, or sorry, Matthew 6, verse 25. This is a great section. Of course, the focus is don't be anxious, but there's also a secondary focus of stop worrying so much about this life. Stop worrying about, uh, you know, what, what you're going to get, how you, who you're going to impress, whatever it may be. Start focusing on things that the Lord cares about. Let's look at this together. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's like, look, I even feed the creation. What do you have to worry about, Christian? Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about these temporary things. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being uh, anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, here's the the point. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it's not to say that, you know, pursuing, uh, you know, a good job or desiring to have a family or to, you know, have friends that you can communicate with. Like, these things are fine as long as you do it for the sake of bringing glory to God, right? And this idea here even, as we're looking at this, is that firstly, the idea is you should be seeking your righteousness first and then these other things that you God knows that you need, you can worry about those things afterwards. That is not the primary. That's not the main thing that you ought to be worrying about in your life. The main thing ought to be, how can I bring glory to God? How can I be righteous before the Lord? That ought to be the focus. And there's that temptation to focus on worldly matters. Yeah, I mean, living with an eternal perspective, you, you stop worrying about things that are temporary. I mean, some of you, uh, you know, some of you seniors, you got college decisions you got to make, right? And I'm sure that causes a lot of worry and a lot of stress. What are you going to do? Are you going to go to college? You're not going to go to college? Are you going to go to a four-year? Are you going to go to junior college? Are you going to go to trade school? What would that mean? And now that's consuming your life in this life stage. Whereas God's saying, no, no, no. Don't worry so much about that. Focus on serving me. Focus on, uh, on living your life for me, and then we can worry about those things. How much better would it be to, to make those decisions prayerfully, to ma- make those decisions with a heart that's focused on what God desires and not what you desire? If you're thinking with an eternal mindset, that may change the school that you go to. That may change the career path that you decide to go down. If you're thinking with an eternal mindset, with an eternal perspective, or this idea of making a lot of money, right? That, that's thrown at us in our culture. Like, if you don't make a lot of money, then you're unsuccessful. Okay, Christian, it's good to make a lot of money. Make a lot of money, and guess what? Use that money for the glory of God. Make the, the, the hope and the desire to make more money is so that you can use it for the kingdom of God. It should change your perspective on how you pursue money, what job you take, how much money you look for. Like, if you're, you know, it should change everything about how you're using that money when you have an eternal perspective. Or some of you guys and gals are so focused, man, so focused on getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend or who am I going to marry. You know what? I take offense because I hear this going around. I just, I don't want to show up. I don't want to be in alliance. I've heard that. I take offense, right? As the leader of alliance, alliance is a great, cool place. Like, stop, Okay. We have many alliance represent. Yeah, I, yeah, I got an amen for that. Okay, but it's it comes from this mentality of oh, I just I so desperately need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I want to get married. So, you know, I I want to do these things. But if that's a that's fine, right? But seek first the, the righteousness, and these things will be added to you. If you have a desire to get married, it can happen. But even that, like, if you're pursuing righteousness, like, guys, talking to you for a second, if you're pursuing righteousness, if you're pursuing Scripture every day, if you're in prayer, you're, you're godly in your, in your disciplines or faithful in your disciplines, and you're growing in godliness, guess what? You're now a more, much more eligible bachelor to a good godly woman than if you didn't. Ladies, the same goes for you. Guys are looking, and they should be, looking for a good godly girlfriend. Right? But you see how your mindset changes when you have uh, an eternal perspective. If your focus is on what God wants and not what on you want, it changes. It changes how you pursue these things. And if it doesn't, it ought to. It ought to. 
or being well-liked by, by people, right? Popularity, which is just so dumb. It's so silly. It's so silly. I mean, of course, as Christians, we're, we're, we need to be personal people. We need to be relational beings. That's, that's how God has designed us. But coveting everyone to like you is simply not going to be the case if you have an eternal perspective. If you have an eternal mindset, there's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people that turn away from you if you have an eternal perspective. Why? Because you're calling out sin. You're sharing the gospel. You're living in a way that goes against the way that they want you to live or the way that they're living. I mean, Pastor John just talked about it in the sermon today, that if, you know, if you're living as salt and light, you're going to go against what other people want, what other people are living for in this life. Yeah, don't get caught up in the things of the world. These things are temporary. They'll pass away. Start doing things that have eternal value. And I've mentioned a couple of them, but just to name a few, think about this eternally valuable uh, task, discipleship, just investing in other people, investing in friends. Discipleship doesn't have to look like you're taking them through partners. That's one way of discipleship. Discipleship can look like, hey, calling out sin or encouraging in many ways, or, or telling them you're praying for them, or talking about theology, right? Discipleship can look like so many different things. And the reason why I say this has an eternal impact, because they are growing in godliness. They are growing in Christ-likeness, and they will be rewarded in heaven for the good deeds that, that, that you do, that they do, it, from you investing your time into them, pouring into them, right? This has eternal impact, for you and for the person that you pour into. Of course, another one I wrote down, helping those in need, right? Just simply being there for people, meeting physical needs, meeting tangible needs, meeting emotional needs, spiritual needs, being there for people. These things have an eternal impact. And the last one, you're sitting right here going to church worship, right? Attending, serving, connecting. You're growing the body of Christ. You're connecting with one another. You're caring for one another, loving one another. Church worship has an eternal impact, and these things become so commonplace when you have an eternal perspective. When your mindset shifts from the, the matters of this world to the matters of the next, then all of these things become a priority. All of these things become the primary of your life. When you have an eternal mindset, you rather do these things than do the other thing, right? You might, you might skip some, you know, basketball practices to be at church. You might miss, uh, you know, a get-together with some friends because you have a serving opportunity. And people may not get that, and they may point the finger at you, but guess what? You have an eternal perspective. You have an eternal mindset. And these things matter far more than that. And why? Why do they matter? Because I mentioned it, your life is not for you, it's to glorify Jesus. Your life is for Christ. I was talking to a friend just the other day, and he reminded me of this old phrase, you might know it, but it says, take a look at someone's calendar and checkbook, and it'll tell you what they truly value. Right? Look at how they're spending their time, look at how they're spending their money, and that'll tell you. Like, if I were to go into your calendar today, some of you don't even have a calendar, but if I was going to go in your mind, if I was going to go in your brain, it's like, what are you going to do throughout the week? and I knew what you were doing, would that reflect a Christ-like eternal perspective? Or would that reflect a temporal 
expect, uh, perspective? Would that reflect, like, I care more about this life, my friends and uh, popularity and my job and sport, whatever it is, I care more about that than I do about the things of the Lord or the checkbook. If I were to go into your bank account and see, okay, how, what are your transactions, right? Are you giving? How are you using money? Are you caring for other people, spending money on other people? Are you buying gifts for people to serve them in that way? Right? I mean, there's so many ways you can use your money, but your resources will tell you, or the financial resources will tell somebody where you're, you, what you truly value, where your heart truly is. Yeah, devote your time, your money, your abilities. All those things are for the Lord. This life is, is to serve God and to serve others. 1 Corinthians 10.31, write that verse down. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it's one you know, I'm sure. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, that's such a helpful, that's like a theme verse. That's like your motto, that's your life motto right there. Whatever you do, in all things, do it for the glory of God. Because that changes how you, what you do. That changes how you think. That changes everything. Why? Because is it glorifying to God? No or yes? If it's no, then stop doing the thing. If it's yes, then great, I'm going to continue to do this thing. But also, it's not always black and white like that. You could be doing something that's morally neutral that you're not doing to bring glory to God, right? It, it, you need to always have that eternal perspective, that eternal mindset in everything that you do. Look back with me to our text, Colossians 3, verse 4. Colossians 3, verse 4. When you have this eternal mindset maintained, there's, there's also this future reality, right? There's this future reality that I had mentioned and of course, that you know well, the new heaven, the new earth that we long to be at. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's something we should be praying for. Lord, please come soon. Come soon, Lord. I, mean, that's, I, I, I long for the day that we can be in heaven with him. Write this down for point number three. Eagerly anticipate your future glory. Eagerly anticipate your future glory. When you guys go out to a meal, maybe for your birthday or special occasion or whatever it may be, what, what's the meal you go to? My wife says Chick-fil-A. Okay. All right. That's, that's great. We're saving money tonight. Okay. Here we go. Right. I mean, there's, there's so many different things, right? It's like, you know, it, it could be Asian food, it could be Mexican food, it could be like seafood, whatever, right? But when you get to that meal, for me, for me, it's Korean barbecue, right? It's Korean barbecue. I mean, if you haven't experienced Korean barbecue, like, unless you're a vegan, that'd be very offensive. Like, don't go to Korean barbecue. But, like, unless you're a vegan, everyone likes Korean barbecue. I mean, it's just meat. It's just delicious meat, right? And you cook it yourself, so you can do it whatever temperature you want, right? If you want it rare, if you want it, uh, you know, well done, like a crazy person, you could do that too, right? But Korean barbecue, man, it's like, I just anti eagerly anticipate that meal. I'm sitting there, I'm cooking it up, and I'm doing whatever I can, and, and I'm just waiting like, oh man, hurry up. I turn the, I turn the thing up, right? It's like if you've been there, you can, you can kind of reach over and, and turn the stove up. But I, I'm trying so hard to get this, this meal ready because I'm eagerly anticipating it. You know, I, I know that's silly, but it's this mentality that we should have every single day that we're eagerly anticipating. Like, Lord, come soon. I cannot wait to be in the new earth with you. I cannot wait to be in my resurrected body with Christ because it's so much better. You know, we don't think about the new earth that often and you, and you probably should because here's the deal. It's going to be a lot like this earth, but perfect, 
It's going to be a lot better. You know, sometimes we think, oh, we're going to be floating on clouds and we're going to be, you know, there's going to be babies with harps in the sky and we're going to be talking with those weird talking babies with harps. Like, that's not what heaven is. That's not what it looks like. It's going to look a lot like this, uncorrupted by sin, with no sinful people and no sin in your life and resurrected bodies. Nick probably doesn't remember this, but I was talking to Nick at at Alliance, and we were just talking about rock climbing, which I don't think I'll ever do. But Nick was saying he'll sometimes do the the free climb, you know, like without the rope. So, and I'm like, okay, you're crazy. I'll never do that in my life, right? Because it's so dangerous. But here's the thing. You get to the new earth, guess what? Death doesn't, there's no death anymore. And you have like this jacked, glorified body. I don't think it's going to be jacked. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I mean, it's... You're, not, you're probably going to look the same. I'm just saying that you're in a new body in the new earth, right? And you're going to be climbing. You're gonna be, in, Nick's, in, in Nick's life there, he's gonna, we'll catch him climbing Mount Everest without a rope and, like, I don't know, no, no equipment. But, like, I mean, you know, sometimes, like, it's, we're not going to be sitting there just bowing down to Jesus the entire time. Like, this is an amazing thing. I mean, we will be doing everything, as I'm saying, perfectly glorifying God, perfectly glorifying the King. However, there's going to be so much blessing that we can look forward to, and you ought to anticipate that. You ought to be excited about that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 18 starting in verse 18. This is just such a beautiful passage about our future glory, what that looks like. Romans is, I mean, this is Paul's theological discourse, and it's such an amazing book. And Romans chapter 8 is like the peak. It's the tip of all theological truth. We find so much good from this. We find it all throughout Scripture, of course, but just, this is just jam-packed with good stuff. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? So you reject that, you know, that friendship, or you you don't go to that that baseball practice, or you have to miss it because you're going to serve like these temporary affliction or like literal trial and suffering and tribulation that we experience in this life, like health problems or actual persecution, these things that we experience in this life, it's not worth comparing to that of the new. It goes on, verse uh, 19. For the creation waits with eager longing, right? We're eagerly anticipating for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Look down at verse uh, 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, and but the Spirit uh, himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I read too far. Stop at 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. We look forward to this future hope that we don't see now. And in some ways, we just, we don't quite understand what it's going to be all, all like. We have some scripture references to what that looks like, but it's going to be an amazing future glory that we get to experience, Christians get to experience together, right? That's going to be an amazing time, perfect relationships, perfect bodies, perfect living. 
in a life doing things that you enjoy, but of course, doing it all for the glory of God, worshiping the Lord. It's going to be an amazing experience. I want you to let that future glory with Christ motivate how you live today. It's got to motivate how you live today. It's got to change the way you live today. And Jesus tells us that when he talks about uh, treasures in Matthew 16, 19 to 21, just write that down, Matthew 6, uh, I said 16, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. The famous passage, do not lay up treasures for yourselves, treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, right? Getting that new job, getting all that money, getting that hot girlfriend, it's whatever. It's, it's meaningless in comparison to the new life. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, when you die, as I said, all of your things die there with you. Okay, sure, maybe your family gets to experience some of the stuff, but guess what? You don't. It's gone. And ultimately, it's all going to burn in the end when Christ returns and we enter our future glory that we're talking about. But instead, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, it's kind of an amazing concept that God says, I mean, God's the one who saves us, God's the one who sanctifies us. God's the one that prepares good works for us to walk in. And then God's also the one that rewards us for the good works that he told us to do and that he equipped us to do. You following me? It's, I mean, that's an amazing concept. The fact, like, God's doing all of this, yet he's still like, here, here's some good rewards for the things that I prepared you to do and the things that I knew you were going to do. I mean, that's, it's just, it's such an amazing thing that we can look forward to rewards in heaven. And that motivates living now, living in this life, doing good work, good deeds, because why? Rewards await in heaven for the good deeds that you do, right? When you're investing your time in discipleship, when you're caring about spiritual disciplines, when you're attending church and serving other people, caring about other people, when you're forsaking things of this world for the things of Christ, eternal re rewards await. That's an amazing concept. Who cares about the cars and the house and the friends and the popularity when you have eternal, valuable things to look forward to? Because those things die in this life. Those things all die out. Sure, you may get your reward now, but it all, it all goes away. God's rewards are just so much better. It's easy to look past the temptations and shiny things in this world when you have eternity to look forward to. And someone who looked forward to that really well was this gal named Joni Erickson Tata. You guys know Joni? Have you heard this person before? Maybe, you know, this is someone that maybe your parents probably know a little bit better. But let me give you a description of who this person is. She actually uh, was paralyzed, I think, what was it, 17 years old in 1967. Paralyzed from the neck down, okay? Completely, you know, quadriplegic. And, yeah, it was a driving accident. And she... Uh, she really struggled with this, right? There was, she struggled with depression. She struggled with anger. She struggled with doubt because of all of this bad things. That were, I, mean, I mean, imagine that. Can't use your arms. Can't use your legs. You can't, you're strapped to this wheelchair for the rest of your life. I mean, that's just that's difficult. That's hard for anybody, even a Christian. That's got to be hard. She wasn't a Christian at the time. However, she started to paint uh, paintings with a, tooth, or a toothbrush, a, uh, her mouth with a paintbrush, 
right? Start painting paintings, and they are beautiful. You should look them up. They're, they're, it's great. I mean, they're actually really good paintings, and so she, became, she grew in popularity. And before this, she actually ended up becoming a Christian, which was amazing, and she utilized her platform, what she had, all, you know, her testimony and, and the, the disability that she had of being a, a, a quadriplegic, and she used it as a testimony to many churches and other people, and, you know, she would tell a bunch of people. In fact, she also even wrote a book, many books, in fact. In one of the books, she says this, as she spoke of the day when she'll meet the Lord Jesus in heaven, she says, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble, because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the blessing of that wheelchair. Joni Erickson Tata had an eternal mindset. She had an eternal perspective. She's still alive. She has an eternal perspective, right? Her mind is focused on things of the Lord. And as she sits there in her wheelchair and cannot move anything but her face, she's sitting there living for Jesus Christ, right? We don't have an excuse, as we sit here in healthy bodies, we don't have an excuse regardless, but let Joni Erickson Tata be a motivator and an influence to you to see that our lives are meant to be lived for the then and there, not the here and now. So we make our way through this life through trials and tribulations, temptations, suffering, difficulties, right? All these, these things that you want to do in this life right now, they're distractions, but instead, may we focus and never wane on the beauty of Jesus Christ and the future glory that we look forward to. Let's pray about that. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. We're just so grateful to you for your word that reminds us of this truth as we can so easily be distracted by the things of this world. We can so easily be distracted by things that we desire that go contrary to what you desire, or even things, God, that there's, it's morally neutral, and we're just not doing it to bring you honor, glory. We're not focusing on things that you would want us to focus on. We're not caring about things that you don't want us to care about. I pray, God, that your word this morning helps drive us in the opposite direction, that we're motivated to serve you with our lives, with a mindset that is eternal, that we have an eternal perspective in everything that we do, in every aspect of our life, and that you receive all the glory in everything that we do, God. Thank you for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.